You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So Psalm 122 really is a psalm, uh, when you first look at it, it's almost like a psalm of relief and rejoicing. When you look at the first verse, you see uh, David say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So there's a sense of relief as the psalmist or the sojourner, thinking of the psalms of ascent, has arrived in Jerusalem. But in order to really understand and grasp why it's so relieving to be in the house of the Lord or in Jerusalem, we need to look back at the previous two psalms. So we're going to do a sermon on three psalms. I'm just kidding. But I am going to briefly talk about these psalms because I think it's going to give us a a good picture of what the people of God were singing as they were coming to Jerusalem and what they have been experiencing. So in Psalm 120, briefly, um, the sojourner is is living within um, foreign nations uh, among people that are liars, deceivers, among people that don't want peace but rather desire war. Um, The psalmist mentions living in specific areas of, of the, the world at that point in which there were likely pagans that were worshiping false gods. My assumption is that the sojourner living here as he is praying to the Lord and asking the Lord to deliver him is that he is tired, he is worn out of constantly hearing false lies and accusations, uh, seeing men try to destroy him, seeing them look down on him because he loves the Lord rather than other gods. Uh, and so he begins the journey. And in Psalm 121, um, it's, it's a, a prayer of help and uh, asking the Lord to come and guide him and, take those, uh, uh, and to guide his steps, which if you're thinking about it through the sense of the sojourner, Psalm 121 is like he's on the journey and he's asking the Lord for help, especially as they're in the wilderness. The wilderness was not the safe place. The cities were the safe place, the strongholds of that time. So going into the wilderness, you're, you're at risk of being attacked or getting lost or whatever it is. And so In these two psalms, there is an asking of God to come and to help, to come and deliver, to come and to protect his people. And then in Psalm 122, there's just a sense of relief. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So here, the the sojourner has finally arrived in Jerusalem. He is here in the city of God. And the question is, why is it that Jerusalem is a place of rest for the people of God? What was it about Jerusalem that made it such a place where when they finally got there, there was a sense of relief and peace? With trying to answer that question, we could do it briefly, but I actually would like to go further back. I want to tell the story of the people of God because I think if we tell the story of the people of God, we'll understand and get a glimpse of why Jerusalem was so special to the people of God. And then we're going to try to apply it to our lives today. Um, So if you remember, the people of God, Israel, at that time, uh, back in the time of Exodus, they had been slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. Okay, that's a long time if you think about that. The United States is not even 300 years old. So they have been enslaved in Egypt under foreign rule for a long time, and they cried out to the Lord and asked the Lord to come and to deliver them. And I, and I want to point this out real quick, because I think we do remember that Moses was the one that delivered the people, yes. 
However, if you look at Exodus 3, what you'll see is that the Lord hears and the Lord responds to the cries of the people and then the Lord comes down. He says that he will come down and that he will deliver the people out of slavery and he will use Moses to do that. It is the Lord responding to the cries of the people. It's not Moses. Not knocking on Moses. But rather, let's remember that the Lord is the one that delivers them. So the Lord comes, and he responds, and he gets the people out of slavery, and they start the pilgrimage to the promised land. And now, in the promise, as they're doing, going on the wilderness, the Lord gives them instructions for how they are to worship him. And the, one of the main things that he tells them to do is to build a tabernacle, or essentially a tent. Okay? It really was like a tent. So the people of God are told to build a tent. And in the tent, there would be the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, and this is where they would come day in and day out and offer sacrifices to the Lord and, and, and to give thanks to him. And also, what it was, was it was a reminder that God was with them and among them. But I also want to point something out, too, because I think when we look at the meta narrative of Scripture, the whole story of Scripture, this is but another... Uh, uh, another stage, I guess you could say, of what God was ultimately doing. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates Adam and Eve and tells them to work and keep the garden. Okay? They are to work and keep the garden. And who is in the garden with Adam and Eve? The Lord. The Lord is physically there. They are with him. They are his people. And he is their God. And then when you come over here to the tabernacle, when the people of God are told to build a tent, the Levites are told, in the exact same Hebrew word, to work and keep the tabernacle. What this means is this. The Lord is establishing another Garden of Eden. Not the same Garden of Eden. They can't have full access to him. But what he's trying to show the people is that he desires to reside among them. He desires to be there with them. And every day, the reason why it was a tent is because every day they would tear down the tent and begin the journey on. And then they would reset the tent, the tent up. Why? Because the Lord was showing them that he desired to be with them. And if you remember the story of the people of God, and you remember how they grumble, and they're like, man, we ain't got no food. Got no food, got no water, pets' heads are falling off. Anybody dumb and dumber? Anyways. Um, it's really funny. So they were crying out that don't have food. And if they would just look to the tabernacle, if they would just literally look over and remember that the Lord resided among them, that he delivered them out of Egypt and that he was there, maybe they could have continued on and not grumbled and not grown weary and not lost the faith. But the Lord established this tabernacle so that the people would see that he was their God and he wanted to reside among them. And eventually, as the people get into the promised land, and over time, the tabernacle ends up in Jerusalem, which is what David, who writes this psalm, talks about. The tabernacle has resided, is now in Jerusalem. The presence of the Lord is there. And eventually, David sees that he's in this grand, beautiful palace, and the Lord, the presence of the Lord is in a tent. So he says to the Lord, Lord, I want to build you a temple, this beautiful, awesome thing. And he's like, nah, you can't do it, but your son Solomon can. And so eventually the temple is established. So whether, now David, when he's writing this, he is talking about the tabernacle as the house of the Lord. 
when the sojourners are coming to Jerusalem, they're talking about the temple. But what's important for us to understand, what I really want us to grasp is, is this. The people of God have a place where they can go to, where the presence of the Lord resides, and they can be among their God and worship him and be in a garden of Eden. Not a perfect one. We're not there yet. But in a garden of Eden where they can be in the presence of the Lord. So why is it that the psalmist feels so much relief? It's not because of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a fine city. But if you look in verse 1 and verse 9, it talks about the house of the Lord. The focal point of this text is that they have arrived in the presence of their God. That is why they are feeling so much relief. But even then, being in the presence of God and being amongst the tabernacle or the temple, being in his presence actually produces good tangible effects as well. Look in verse uh, 3 through 4. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Verses 3 through 4 convey a sense of unity in the midst of diversity. They are tribes of Israel. They are all ethnically Jewish, and yet at the same time they are from different parts of Israel, from different tribes with different backgrounds, and yet they come together once a year to offer thanks to the Lord their God. Why? Because he delivered them. He saved them out of slavery, and they, and they have become his people, not because they were awesome people, but because the Lord's kindness was upon them. So they come together to worship the Lord. So there's a sense of unity in, amidst the diversity. But also, notice in verse 3 when it says, uh, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. If you look at the Hebrew, the phrase bound firmly together also describes the tabernacle. The tabernacle was to be bound firmly together. Here, Jerusalem is bound firmly together. It's not just that the city was well built, but rather the city was built to be the presence of the Lord, where the Lord resided and the people could come to. You see what I'm getting at? And the unity that they had to come together and to worship the Lord all came from the reality that they were Jewish people who had been nothing. They had been enslaved. They had been essentially worthless. They were slaves. And yet God came and rescued them and brought them to the promised land, to a place where they could reside among him. That produces unity, and we'll talk about that later. In verse 5, it says, there, were the, there thrones for judgment were set, the thrones for the house of David. In this city, there wasn't just the temple of God, there was also the throne of God, the throne of David, where David at that time would rule under the authority of God. So when they came to this city, they knew not just that the Lord was there, but that the, the ruler there was under the authority of God, and they could come freely and worship the Lord under the authority of the king. There was this freedom, there was a, a place of justice where they knew they would be treated fairly and rightly. So all of this to say, the reason why the psalmist is so excited to be in Jerusalem is because he's come into the presence of the Lord. And the effects of coming into the presence of the Lord and where the Lord works, there's peace and unity and justice and truth. Now the question becomes this. Are we supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord today? Is Jerusalem still a place where the Lord resides? Or where is the Lord today? Where are we to go to experience this type of peace and unity in the presence of the Lord? Where do we go? 
So with that, let's do the whole same story, but in the lens of the New, through the lens of the New Testament. We, the people of God, were also once enslaved. But we were not enslaved to a foreign oppressor. We were enslaved to, enslaved to sin. We willingly chose to enslave ourselves to sin and disobeyed the Lord and were objects of wrath because of our disobedience. And yet, God saw our disobedience. God saw who we were, and yet he loved us so much that he heard and he responded and he came down. But this time when he came down, he physically came down. And he came down in Jesus. And Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, right, he delivered us from our sin. He set us free by taking away our sin, by taking that punishment, and then causing us to become his children, his people. And now he is leading us where? To the new promised land. He is leading us and taking us to the promised land. So where is the tabernacle now for us? Where is the temple now for us? Where are we to go? Where do we see the presence of the Lord as we are journeying on to the promised land? The beauty of the gospel is that we no longer have a temple, physically speaking. We have the temple that is Jesus. Because Jesus says in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, he goes to the Pharisees, he's at the temple, and he tells them, I'm going to destroy this temple and in three days raise it back up. Pharisees are like, dude, it took 46 years to build. Are you really telling me you're going to tear it down and then three days later rebuild it? Come on. And John gives us insight. John tells us that Jesus said this not for the physical building, but rather because he was talking about his body. See, God chose to dwell now in the temple, as a temple in a human body. No longer does God reside in a building, his presence residing in a building, but rather the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Colossians 1.19. That's temple language. It's not saying that Jesus was a man and then God's presence chose to come in him, but rather that's temple language going back to the Old Testament in which it says the presence of the Lord resided in the house of, of the Lord. Here, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell no longer in a house, no longer in a tent, but rather in Jesus. So in Jesus, we have the temple. He is the greater temple. Now let's stop and think about this for a second because it makes more sense to you and me for God to reside in a grand building. Right, for the presence of the Lord to be in this beautiful, majestic building that we ought to go to and offer sacrifices to and, and then you know, do our thing over there to be in his presence and have to come back. But God loves us so much that he did not desire to live in a building, I don't know how many miles away, forever miles away, but rather chose to come and become flesh. He was a baby. He had diapers. I mean, it's shocking but he learned how to speak. He learned how to walk. He was so humble and loved us so much that he came, not as a temple, not to reside in this glorious building where he gets all the glory, but as a simple carpenter. And then took on the shame of the cross and became our sin. You want to talk about love? That is love. To no longer reside in a building, but to come as a baby and to die and to not have any glory here on this earth that we could see. Jesus is our new temple. So here's the thing. Where is our Jerusalem? 
Where is our temple? Where are we to go to find this rest as we journey on and we go through hard times, just like in Psalm 120, where we're surrounded by people who don't love the Lord, who don't care about the things of God, who want to persecute us, where we go through a perilous journey where it's like, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but this looks really bad and I don't know how to get out of it. And we ask him for help. Where is our temple? Where is our place of rest? Right here. In this 114-year-old warehouse that doesn't work half the time. This is our place of rest. Why? Because Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is with them. Therefore, when we come together as a body of believers, there is a unique opportunity to experience entering into the house of the Lord that Psalm 122 talks about. When we come together and we don't abandon, as some do, like Hebrews says, the gathering of believers, when we are consistent in coming here, what the Lord does is he builds us up and he encourages us and we come into his literal presence as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 talks about how we now are the temple of God because the Holy Spirit resides in us. This is the new Jerusalem. This is the new temple. When we come together, we come into the presence of the Lord, literally. We're coming into the presence of Jesus. And this also has tangible effects, just like it did in Jerusalem. We aren't all from Israel. We're not ethnically Jewish, most of us. Maybe somebody in here is. But we come from all sorts of tribes all over the world. And in the midst of diversity, there is unity. We are unified by the blood of Christ and we come into his presence, even though we're from all over the world. Now, here's the thing. This unity that we have is constantly being attacked by Satan. How do we know this? John 17, the high priestly prayer, the prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross, what is one of the things he asked the Father to do but to keep his church unified? To keep us as one. We, when we think of the church being hurt, we often think about physical persecution. Not being able to come into this 115 whatever year old warehouse building and worship the Lord. I, I'll say this. Throughout the history of the church, persecution, external persecution, only strengthens her. It only strengthens her. It does not hurt. We're worried about this. What we ought to be worried about is this, not worried. What we ought to be concerned about is this, staying unified as one body. Now, how does that happen? How are we to stay as one? Because reality is we're all broken. We're going to offend somebody. We come from different tribes, literally from all over the world. There could be a cultural difference that's misunderstood that causes frustration and clashing different political beliefs, all those types of things. So how are we to stay unified? We stay unified by remembering where we've come from. We were once all enslaved to sin. That means you are not a good person. And I am not a good person. We are broken and we are sinful and we are unable to do anything good on our own. And we needed the grace of God to come and to rescue us. Therefore, you're not better than anyone else in this room. Or... If you think, man, you know, I don't really think I'm better than everybody, but man, I just don't think I'm as good as anybody in here. If they only knew my past, if they only knew what I had done, if they only knew who I really was deep down, there was no way they would accept me. 
But here's the thing. Jesus did and does know who you are and chose to come and rescue you and bring you and adopt you as his son or daughter and make you as into his bride. And you are now a part of this fellowship regardless of where you come from. So how do we stay unified? It is our gospel doctrine. We understand who we are and where we've come from and what Jesus has done to rescue us and to bind us together. That produces a culture where when somebody comes in and they are ultra broken, we're like, please come in. Please come sit down. Let us, let us pull out a feast in front of you. Let us welcome you. You have hard times? Cool, man. Me too. Come on in. We can create, through the power of Christ, a culture in which when the lost come in and they see something, they're like, man, I don't know what this is or what happened, but I want it. Satan desires to destroy our unity because it's one of the grandest pictures of what God has done. So, we must pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Verses 6, 7, 8, 9. The psalmist goes into praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And when we hear this phrase and we see all of this, we think he's talking about praying against external forces again. However, look, at me, look, look with me carefully. Peace be within your walls. Security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. David is not praying that they would be protected from external forces only, but rather that they would be protected from stuff within. Here's the sad part. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem, it's not a place of unity. It's not a place of peace. It's become a place that ends up rejecting the literal Messiah, the temple of God. So we ought to be praying for one another. We ought to be praying for our elders and our pastors that they may not stumble into sin. I know that there's church hurt out there. It's real. If you have been hurt by the church, I am so desperately sorry. That is not what Jesus desires. But don't give up on the church. And you're here right now, so I'm assuming that's the case. But we don't give up on her because she is a broken, yet beautiful, and becoming more beautiful bride of Christ. I know there's church hurt. I know there's division. I know all of those things. But we must continue to labor to be unified as a body and to pray for the church universal but also pray for one another in here. Are you praying for your parish? I'm asking myself, too. Are you praying for your parish that they would not stumble into sin? Are you praying that they would draw closer and closer to Christ? Are you praying for the lost and praying that they would come in? Are you seeking peace within these walls? Are we active in seeking unity and peace? And here's the good news. We're pilgrims right now. We're sojourners. We are on our way to Jerusalem. We have a tabernacle amongst us in which we can come on a weekly basis and find rest for our souls. And one day, the Deliverer, the greater Moses, Jesus, is going to take us into the true promised land, the new Jerusalem, where we will have perfect peace, peace, perfect justice, perfect unity, and we will literally reside in the presence of the Lord just like we did in the Garden of Eden, but this time it will be the new city of God. This is what the Lord is doing. This is why this gathering is so important. Come every week, be fed, come back into the presence of the Lord, see the tabernacle, remind yourself that God is with you, even in the midst of suffering, and let us continue to go forth knowing that the Lord is going to take us to the promised land. Let's pray.
Father, I come before you and thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come and to gather into your presence, to worship you, to love you, to be, to be in your temple. Father, we thank you that we don't have to travel to Jerusalem anymore. That we don't have to travel to a distant city, to a, a distant building and go through rituals in order to be in your presence. But because of Jesus, we can simply come into your presence and we can worship you and we can experience your grace once again. We can be renewed in the Spirit and we can go forth and continue on on our journey. Thank you for this place of rest, this new Jerusalem. Lord, guard our hearts and our actions. Keep us from stumbling. Keep us from going astray. Help us to continue on with you as we journey toward this new Jerusalem. Let us not grow weary. And Lord, when we die or when you return, may we be welcomed into your presence because of what Christ has done for us and not because of our own actions. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.